will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity to share your word with your people. Pray that you will bless the preaching of your word and give us hearts uh, ready to listen and willing to obey. In Christ's name, for his glory, amen. amen. You can be seated. Well, we're continuing on uh, looking at John's letter, First John, as he provides tests for uh, determining what is authentic Christianity. How do we know who is a real Christian? How do we have assurance that the life of God truly lives in us? What are some tests by which we can determine is that the church that we're part of, a genuine Christian church? That is what the Apostle Paul, uh, John is writing about in 1 John. And in our passage today, he highlights the role of love in that test. Now, one of the first Christian writers after the apostles, one of the writers in the early church was a man named Tertullian. And uh, he wrote at a time when Christians were in the minority and the pagans were the majority and the pagans uh, looked suspicious, suspiciously upon the Christians. It was a new religion, it was a strange religion, and Christianity was a threat to pagan order in society because the Christians didn't worship the pagan gods and they believed the pagans that it was the gods who kind of held everything together socially and and so the, 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 the Christians were looked upon with great suspicion. So Tertullian wrote quite a bit about why um, Christians are not a threat to other people, indeed the exact opposite, and uh, reasons to believe in the Christian faith. And in one of his readings, or one of his writings, and this is a passage that became kind of famous, he talks about how he says, even our opponents recognize something among us as Christians. Our care of the helpless, our practice of loving kindness, he said, brands us in the eyes of our opponents. And then he says this famous line, they say, look how they love one another. Even the opponents of Christianity see our love. Wouldn't that be wonderful if those who oppose Christianity today or suspicious of Christianity today could look and, and see Christians loving one another? So that's one of the first things that come to mind when they think of Christianity. They think of people who demonstrate love. Well, the Apostle John is uh, 
is teaching here that love is evidence of God's life in us. Love authenticates the message of the gospel. And so he calls us to love in this passage. And I want to talk about, as you look there on um, page 8 in your bulletin, invite you to take that out, and we'll look and see why we should love. I've already talked about some reasons, but why we should love. He gives some more reasons. How we should love, and then the results of our loving one another. And so, why should we love one another? Well, very simple answer to that is that God has commanded us to love one another. What God commands, we ought to obey. And he says in verse 11, this is the message that you heard from the beginning. I think he's talking about the message that he, as an apostle, had given to them, uh, or or the message that the, the entire apostolic sort of band has been preaching to these early Christians. This is the message that we have, that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. It's a command that came from Christ himself, It's a command that the apostles passed on to the early converts to Christianity. They were speaking for God. They were speaking for Christ when they called people to love one another. And then down in verse 23, he says, And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ. Part one, believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us he sandwiches that between two reminders that this is a commandment of god here's what he commands he says and he says just as he's commanded us just to get the point across this is something that god is saying to his people and once again if god speaks a command we as his children ought to obey it in fact it's a sign that we're really in God and God is in us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God. And Jesus said the same thing in our gospel reading, didn't he? He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And so even in our personal relationships, if, 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 if we want to have healthy relationships with our friends, with our spouses, we're going to listen to what they say. Listening is a sign of love. And uh, if they ask us to do something, we're going to oftentimes go ahead and do that because we love them. How much more in the case of God, God who is giving us a command, our loving Father, telling us to love one another. So that's reason number one. And then there's a negative reason here. We don't want to be filled with hate. We don't want to be like Cain. He brings up the example of Cain. We should not be like Cain, verse 12, who was of the evil one, and murdered his brother. He murdered his brother Abel, the first murder in history. Remember what God says to Cain, the the blood of your brother is crying out to me from the ground. This awful murder that took place between Cain and Abel because Cain's heart was filled with hate. Why did he murder him? It says because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. 
God told Cain, evil is crouching at your door. He told Cain, he warned Cain about the evil within. But instead of Cain dealing with the evil within and pursuing righteousness, he saw his brother whose sacrifice was righteous. And instead of dealing with his own wickedness and pursuing righteousness on his own, his brother's righteousness was a threat to him. It, it shamed him. And so he killed his brother. And so John says, we don't want to be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And he anticipates that people are going to say, well, I'm not like Cain because I've never murdered anybody and I don't think I ever will murder anybody. He anticipates that when he says, verse 15, how about hate? Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. In other words, John is teaching something we see all throughout the Bible, that sin starts in the heart. You know, before the hand commits murder, hatred has stirred the heart. The seed of hatred has been allowed to grow in the heart. This is a warning for, for us, brothers and sisters, to not let disdain of another person or another people group grow in our hearts. We have to be on guard against that sort of attitude. You know, the attitude that says, well, I just can't stand so-and-so. Or I just can't stand those people. And this disdain begins to grow that can grow into real hatred. And, and if we're starting to feel that, and I think if we're honest, we all have been tempted in this way. If we're starting to feel disdain and intense dislike for an individual or a group of people, we need to bring that before God. We need to confess that. We need to ask for forgiveness. We need to ask God to give us love for those people or that person that we're tempted to hate. Jesus says that we're even to love our enemies. What a high standard that God gives us. But by his grace, he enables us to become more loving. So there's a warning here. Don't be like Cain. But then we ought to be instead like Christ. Reject the Cain-like spirit and pursue the Christ-like spirit Verse 16, here is the great example of love for us. By this we know love. You want a definition of love? Look to the cross. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Such a revolutionary thing. We're used to hearing about God sacrificing for us at the cross in Christ, giving his very life for us. But it's such a revolutionary thing in the first century to hear that God is the one who sacrificed. Because in that culture, it was human beings who sacrificed to the gods or the goddess. 
And it wasn't so much an act of love, it was an, a kind of a business transaction. You sacrificed to these gods and goddesses so they would give you favors or get off your back so life would go well with you. It's like a business transaction. But it wasn't the gods sacrificing for you out of love. It was you sacrificing to the gods. But here, John says, oh, in Christ, God laid down his life for you. And that is a demonstration of love. And that brought a new ethic, a new morality into the first century. There's a sociologist who studied, like, why, is, why did Christianity not only survive against all the odds in the early church, in the first century, in the Greco-Roman world, why did it not only survive when it started out as this tiny minority, but then why did it thrive and eventually take over? What accounts for that? And this sociologist named uh, Rodney Stork, or Stark, rather, Rodney Stark, he said um, part of it has to do with this new ethic that came into the world based on the example of Christ's sacrificial love for others. That was not part of the pagan ethic. In the, in the pagan world, you, you, you demonstrated kindness to somebody if they could reciprocate. But you didn't, there wasn't an ethic that said you need to love everyone and you need to especially love the weak and the vulnerable and the poor and those who can do nothing to help you. That ethic came into the world because of exactly what John is saying. We have seen this great example of love at the cross. Christ laid down his life for us. Therefore, as Christians, we ought to love others. And so this is why we should love, following the example of Christ, following the command of Christ. And then how should we love? Well, we've already seen an answer to that. We should love like Christ, which is this sacrificial love, this agape love. That's the word that's being used here. Agape, Christian love. Love that is not tied or dependent upon the emotions or the feelings, but love that involves a, a, the will and that will act for the good of the other. Love is a verb. Love is an act. And so John gives this example here of love in action. Verse 17. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does love, God's love, abide in him? If you see somebody in need and you have something in order to fulfill that need, but you don't do anything, but you close your heart, he says, that's, that's not an example of God's love. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. So Christian love is, is an action. It gets involved. It's sacrificial and it gets involved in difficult places. I mean, it involves pain. It involves pain on our end. This is, it's easy. It's, this is very convicting when I hear him say, let's not talk about love. Because I, I can talk about love and I as a preacher, I'm supposed to talk about love. But he says, 
Don't just talk about it. Do it. Act. And that requires sacrifice. That moves me out of my comfort zone. So it's, it's pain on my part, but it also oftentimes involves entering into the pain of other people and the suffering of other people, and that can be uncomfortable. But what we're following here is Christ who hung on a cross, who entered into real pain, ultimate pain and suffering. And um, it was Dostoevsky who said, uh, he said, uh, love in action is a harsh and dreadful thing compared to love in dreams. Love in action is a harsh and dreadful thing compared to dreams. Sometimes it is, it is dreadful to enter into the pain and the suffering of other people out of love. But that's what we're called to do. And this congregation has demonstrated it time and time again. It's been an encouragement to me and a challenge to me to see how you all love one another and are willing to sacrifice and willing to do difficult things. I think about when somebody in our congregation had a surgery and wasn't able to do things on her own for herself. And ladies in the church spent the night with her day after day, night after night, to be there by her side to help her do the things that she needed to do. That was love in action. Um, people who volunteered to um, give other folks rides when they can't, they don't have the transportation to, to take themselves somewhere. Or even, this has happened a couple of times, it blows my mind, people have given cars to people in need in this congregation. Sacrificial love. Uh, just little things like calling somebody who you know is going through a hard time and, and saying, I'm praying for you or offering to pray for them over the phone. I mean, that shows that God's love is alive in us, in those kind of actions. And, and we ought to give thanks and praise to God for that if we've been on the receiving end of that and if we've been on the giving end of that because that blesses us when we do those things. Because the love of God is flowing through us. Our psalm talks about praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for all of his works. And this is one thing that as Church of the Resurrection, I think we can praise God for, for the love of God that has been shown in the members among us to one another. Maybe somebody would be tempted to say amen at that. I don't know. If you've been on the receiving end, or if you've been and God has blessed you so that you can bless others to show his love. What a blessing that is. And it demonstrates that God is at work among us. God commands us to love. God shows us how to love. And then the results of this love. Look at verse 19. The effects of this love. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. As I've mentioned, John is writing a community that's really in crisis. It's facing a kind of identity crisis because these false teachers, and we'll talk more about this next time, 
But these false teachers have come in with teaching that is not really what Jesus taught and not what the apostles taught. And they have said, you've been taught the wrong thing about Christianity. Now we're going to teach you the truth. And so these Christians are in a state of crisis over their identity. Did we really receive the truth? Are we really saved? Is the eternal life of God in us now? Do we really have the hope of being with God forever? They've been thrown into this kind of turmoil. And, and there, there was this, this, this crisis of identity and assurance. And sometimes we might face that in our life. Do I really know God? Am I truly a Christian? Am I truly saved? Am I really headed for heaven? And John says, this is one way we can test ourselves. By this, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. That is, if we are seeing any of these things in our life with regard to letting the love of God flow through us to others. If we do love our brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm not talking about doing it perfectly. But if we have love for other Christians, if we have a desire to love those who are even difficult, if we recognize the seeds of disdain and hatred growing in our hearts and we confess that and ask God to help us overcome that, then John is saying the life of God is in you because God is love. Now, that's not the only test. You know, there is the test of belief. Do you believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ? It's not just love. There are a lot of loving people in the world who do not believe in the name of Jesus Christ as their savior. So there's more than one test, but this is a test. And it's not that we love in order to become children of God. It is that we love because we're children of God. And so we can reassure our hearts. There is this place for self-examination before him, it says, verse 19. This is in the context of prayer. Go to the Lord in prayer if you're having problems with your assurance. Go to the Lord in prayer and allow him to search your hearts. But then there can be a danger with that. We can become so introspective and look inside ourselves for assurance that there may be times when we realize we have not lived up to God's perfect standard to love and the doubt might come and the confusion might come and the accuser, that is Satan, might come and say, see, you're not really a child of God. You don't live up to this standard of self-giving, sacrificial love. You know... I think none of us probably. I mean, there may be a few saints who get to the point of sanctification in their life that, that their acts of love are just pure, self-giving, sacrificial love. I don't know if I've ever been there, to be honest. I, I feel like my love is mixed with self-interest. I mean, I've learned through the years that I, I want to be patient and kind to my wife and my children, and, and because I love them and I want 
I want to bless them in that way. But I also know that the more patient and kind I am, the more peaceful and happy my life will be with my family. So there's some, so there's some self-interest mixed in there. And we shouldn't let that dissuade us from pursuing this way of love. We shouldn't be like this character in uh, Gilbert and Sullivan, one of their operettos, Patience. Yeah, she's the milkmaid in the village and she's picked up this definition of love, which is pure, you know, selflessness. And, 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 and so she gets this idea in her head that in order for her to really love, it's got to be pure selfless love. And so she doesn't marry the person she really loves because she says that would be selfish. <laughs> so she marries the person she doesn't love so that she can love. She gets herself in this ridiculous conundrum. And the point is, is I don't think any of us, I mean, again, there might be some people who've achieved this kind of pure, selfless love for the sake of the others. But for most of us, uh, we're not there yet. And so there can be this kind of self-condemnation that might happen because we realize we fall short. But, but John is just, as a good pastor, I mean, he's just so balanced in this letter. He, he gives us this really high standard, but then he realizes, you know what, we're going to fall short of this standard. So he says in verse 20, whenever our heart condemns us, when we realize we, we have fallen short and there's this self-condemnation that can happen, we need to remember, and I love this, God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything about us. He knows everything about us and he loves us still. And in Christ, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul the Apostle says in Romans 8, 1. And so the final word about our standing, our assurance, is not really something that we achieve by looking inward. The final word, the ultimate word about our standing with God is something that God says about us. And he's told us at the cross that he loves us and he's called us his beloved children. And so we can have this confidence before God. And out of that confidence, as he goes on and says, we can pray uh, to our Father and he will answer these prayers according to his perfect will. By our love for one another, we demonstrate the love of God in our life and in our life together. And I think in this increasingly post-Christian nation and in our post-pandemic world, this is going to be the key to reaching people for Christ, is holding fast to the truth with clarity, with conviction, not compromising on the truth because it's the truth that saves it's God's truth not our truth so we, we hold it with clarity and conviction and humility but we demonstrate the reality of God through acts of love it's just like what Tertullian was saying back in the early church even our opponents recognize there's something genuine happening here it would be wonderful if the neighbors around us and said, you know what, the Church of the Resurrection, those guys, they're kind of weird. They believe some weird things. I don't agree with everything. 
but they do love each other and they have shown love and, and, and that can be a drawing power um, Dr. Brand was a medical missionary and um, his parents were missionaries before him and he writes about his parents in, uh, in his book um, which is um, I think it's called Fearfully and Wonderfully Made but he talks about how his parents while they were missionaries in India reached people he said my mother and father worked for seven years before anyone converted to Christianity in fact the first conversions came as a direct result of their healing love and he said villagers would come and they would abandon their sick outside of our house because they knew my parents would take care of the sick and one day a Hindu priest came and brought he was dying of influenza the priest knew he did not have much longer to live and so he brought his daughter his nine-month-old daughter to their house none of the other religious leaders the Hindu religious leaders said would care for his child they, they would have let her die but Dr. Brand says my parents let her in nursed her to health adopted her as their own I gained a stepsister named Ruth and my parents gained an unexpected response of trust the villagers were so moved by that example of Christian love that several of them came to Christ to experience God's love for themselves based on that example of love in action. May God increase our love for one another and may God lead us down this path of self-giving love for His glory. Amen. Amen. Lord, we thank You for Your Word that is an encouragement and a challenge to us to grow in Christ's likeness. And I pray for myself um, that I would grow in this. And I pray for all of us in our congregation as a whole that we would pursue this path. Lord, that we might demonstrate to the world the living reality of a loving God through our acts of love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, would you please stand and let's recite the words of our faith using the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. 
We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. They stand, sit, or kneel for the prayers.